Hello, my name is Victor, and for one last time this semester, welcome to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. We're continuing our series, Wisdom from Above, with more seniors talking about a variety of different topics. You can find those in the description of this podcast episode. And this is the final Thursday night challenge that they will attend. And they want to leave some parting words of advice and challenges for the next generation of students. It's a little nostalgic, but there is so much value to be found in the words of these students. So let's listen in. So tonight we are wrapping up our series, uh, Wisdom from Above for Living Down Below. And um, for those of you, maybe you guys have know this verse, but those of you don't, James 3.17, if you need a verse to add to your memory pack this week, this would be a good one. It says, the, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And, you know, um, that's very different than uh, the kind of wisdom that uh, gets passed as wisdom for today. And I think that's some of the stuff from that verse you're going to hear from the different speakers tonight, the seniors are going to get to share. So I'm excited to be able to hear them. So without further ado, uh, our very first up is Bree. So. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to be just reflecting a little bit about a lesson that I learned my sophomore year and have continued to learn every year since. And if I were to sum it up, it would just be that it's not about us. So I want you all to invite, I want to invite you all to travel back in time with me to the end of my freshman year, April 26th, 2019 to be exact. I was sitting at a table in the village with Neil and Aaron interviewing for discipleship team slash ministry team. And it was off to a great start. Uh, two girls from my dorm had just come up asking if Neil and Aaron were my parents. Um, <laughs> So great start there. Um, I was planning to do discipleship team, but was really surprised when instead I was asked to join ministry team, specifically to help lead Freshman Connection. Aaron and Neil told me that they thought I was capable, capable of leading. I didn't believe them. Uh, in the back of my mind, I was running through a mental list of every reason why I didn't think I could lead, but wanting to grow in my faith, I still said yes. Just one week into my sophomore year, I came face to face with that running list of limitations. Uh, welcome week outreach events, if any of you have been a part of those. Uh, meeting up with girls, pure exhaustion, and oh, did I mention the welcome week outreach events? Um, all reminded me that I didn't know how to make awkward situations less awkward. I got exhausted after talking to strangers, and the worst, sometimes I lack the attention to detail required to change people's names when I copied and pasted messages inviting them to challenge. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Uh, as the year went on, it was hard to not compare myself to the other Freshman Connection leaders who were a lot more outgoing than me. I was left wondering if I was cut out to be a part of what God was doing at USC. The insecurity I wrestled with that year was a signal that I was way more focused on myself than I was on God. I was looking at my life, even my spiritual life, through a microscope, where I was at the center and I was the primary subject. My skills, my happiness, my thoughts, my abilities, and even my faith were central to God's purposes, and that's what I thought. But the spring semester, a sermon series I heard the summer before, called Canvas by Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio, Du Bois, <laughs> began to help shift my perspective. The main idea was that everything God does is to glorify himself. In simple terms, God's glory means the sum of his awesomeness. It's the perfect harmony of all his attributes into an infinitely beautiful and personal being. In every single thing God has done in history, from the creation of the universe, to Jesus dying on the cross, to the unique, incredible way he created you, has been to display his glory. Romans 11.36 says, for him, from him, so sorry, for from him and through him and in him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. He made us in his image so that we might reflect his glory back to him and reveal him to the people around us. God is full of himself, and that is a really good thing, because if God is as magnificent and awesome as he's made out to be, it doesn't really make sense for him to be full of anyone else. The part of the message that resonated with me the most and has impacted me the past three years touched on the story of Moses and God's call for him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Moses was pretty riddled with self-doubt. He had a stutter, but he was just asked by God to go speak to the most powerful man in Egypt. He asks God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? And rather than build up Moses' confidence by saying, Moses, you're pretty capable, but you're not that eloquent, um, like I would have expected, God instead says, I am who I am. And later in the chapter, I will be with you. So Moses asks, who am I? And God answers, I am who I am. It's kind of a confusing exchange. But I am is God's personal name. He responds to Moses' self-doubt by redirecting Moses to himself. The truth is, Moses was not capable of delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. But God was. Moses was not the solution, nor did he deserve the glory, but he knew I am. I am being the personal name of God. So take away this. I am not, but I know I am. I am. That's confusing, but <laughs> it's really helpful. God responded in a, sim in a similar way to my insecurities the past three years. He kept putting me in places to love, pray, and cheer with the freshmen at USC, not because I had the right words, the biggest personality, or the vast understanding of scripture, but because I know him, and that's all you really need to have a life of impact, is to know him deeply. One clear example of this playing out as a freshman, or as a freshman connection leader that sophomore year, is that there's a freshman I discipled that year who always tells me, I remember when you told me blank freshman year. And many times I have no recollection of saying that thing. <laughs> I don't have the greatest memory, but I think this is proof that God's goal is to reveal himself to the people around you, and he's not limited by your skills or your ability at any given moment. He just needs you to be willing. My deepest regret in college would have been saying no to freshman connection because I felt like I wasn't good enough. And my fear for you is that you might say no to opportunities to love, pray, and share with people because you don't feel capable. But I want to encourage you by saying that God won't put you into any situation that he can't reveal his glory. Isaiah 41.13 has given me a lot of comfort. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. If you're a follower of Christ, the best and most valuable thing you can offer people is Jesus, not your personality or your way with words. Philippians 3.8 talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and everything else being basically garbage. <laughs> so that leaves you with a choice. You can be the main character of your own story that won't last more than a few generations at best, or you can get on God's page and be a little player in an eternal story all about God's glory. If we go through life thinking it's all about us, our abilities, our happiness, and our righteousness, the enemy wins. We weren't put on this earth to point people to ourselves, but to point them to the creator who made us. So I just came up with three things that have helped me keep my eyes on God as this lie has come up throughout the past four years that life is about me. The first one, um, oops, lost it. Uh, the first one is to put your yes on the table every day in spite of weakness. Offer God your time, your energy, and your heart because you recognize that everything you have, including your limitations, is something he's given you to make him look awesome, as awesome as he is, to reflect his glory. And you'll be really surprised by the opportunities that come up. Just promise me you'll all look up uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 later. Um, Paul boasts about his weakness because Christ's power is made abundantly available in our weaknesses. Number two, walk as closely with him as you can. Fancy word for this is to abide. Invite God into your conversations, thoughts. Talk to him all the time. Get used to needing him. John 15, 5 tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. Um, then the third one, probably the hardest, is telling yourself the truth. Any good done in and through you, pointing people to God, is because God is awesome, not because we're awesome. Um, I really want to leave you with 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are those earthen vessels, not lasting long, not deserving of glory, but the incredible treasure of the personal knowledge of God through Christ, which points all to the greatness and power of God, is really where the glory is due. Um, so with that, I'd like to welcome up Josh.
Hello there. Oh, I do not want this on here. There we go. There we go. Hello. How are you guys doing? Perfect. Um, so if you've managed to go this entire time without meeting me, hello, my name is Josh, and today I'm going to be talking to you guys about the value of mentorship. And for me, as I was thinking through and really praying through what I really wanted to convey with this message, I really felt like two things came to mind. One, I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to encourage you uh, and really hopefully cast a vision for what mentorship uh, is like, been like in my life and really encourage you to hopefully get some time with someone who is a little um, down the road than you are. Uh, but second, I wanted it to serve as a public thank you. And so if you know me, you know that for the last three years, I have gotten to have some very personal time with a very deep friend of mine. Uh, and this friend, he uh, has been someone who has opened up many, many different areas of his life to me. He has opened up his home. He's opened up his family. He's opened up his time. He's opened up his resources, his money. He's definitely opened up his wisdom and his insights. And really, through all of this, he's just opened up his life to me. And his name is Jeremy Walker. <laughs> Round of applause for Jeremy. Round of applause for Jeremy. And so as I was thinking through the impact that Jeremy has had in my life and how mentorship has, has really changed me, there are four key elements that really stood out to me. Um, so the first one is having a mentor in your life gives you the opportunity to be open and honest. And so if you've ever met with me, you know that one of the key phrases that I like to say is, I can only help you and I can only love you to the extent of which I know you. And just to be completely straight up with you guys, Jeremy knows all of the garbage of my life. <laughs> Honestly, I'm significantly impressed with all the things that he knows and the emotional strength that he has inside to be able to just keep it within him. Um, it's actually very amazing. Um, but in being open and honest with him throughout the years, I have been able to get very personalized and tailored advice, love, and care throughout the years. Jeremy has seen me overcome many, many struggles and different sin patterns and has helped me and really guided me along the way. And so that's the first point. The second point is it gives you a sounding board for making decisions. And really, I can't even count the times where a big decision has come into my life where I have given Jeremy a call completely out of the blue. I remember a time where I was calling him and he was on a walk. I remember a time where I called him and he was driving. And more, most recently, I remember a time where I called him and he was in the bathroom ba uh, bathing his kids. Um, and so as I'm asking Jeremy some, for some advice and I'm hearing Ruth splash the water in the background, I just need some advice. So Jeremy, ask him all these questions. Um, and so he has been someone that has very much much open up a lot of his, his time to me. And so, um, but really what uh, I, I can tell you is with the different decisions that I've made in my life, albeit I've made some good decisions and I've made some bad ones, but really for the good decisions, a lot of them have come through the advice of Jeremy Walker. And so the third point is it gives you the opportunity to have a friend. And so now you're probably wondering, oh my, God, oh my gosh, Josh is up here, it's his last Thursday challenge as a senior, and he's talking to you guys about how to have a friend? Oh my gosh, he's getting soft, he's getting mushy, he's getting emotional, and probably I am. <laughs> but to be honest with you, Jeremy and I have an absolute blast together. We have played basketball, we have barbecued together, we have watched movies together, we've played board games, we've really just done life together, and it's been an absolutely spectacular time. And really that's what you need, because if you're going to go far in life, you need friendship. If you're going to go far in life, you need community. If you're going to go far in life, you need people to tell you how life works and tell you what it is, but also be able to have those people to just enjoy life with. 
And so that's the third point. The fourth point is it gives you the opportunity to have someone who sees your future through the rearview mirror of their life. And so really for this point, there was one illustration that I really felt that God put on my heart a couple years ago, and I'll, I'll share it with you guys today. Um, and so a couple years ago, I was on a hike with a friend. Uh, we were at Joshua Tree, and we were going on, on this hike. It was a three-mile hike, nothing, nothing really crazy, um, but it was pretty hot, and uh, all three miles were pretty much completely straight up a mountain. And so I'm going up the mountain, and you know, halfway through, I'm, I'm doing all right, doing all right, but then uh, keep taking steps, keep going, and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, it is hot. I am, I am tired. I am sweaty. How much farther until I reach the top, right? And so I look down and I go, oh my gosh, I've, I've come a long way. But then I look up and I go, oh my gosh, we have so much more to go. And I'm tired and tired and then continue to go along. And eventually I reach the top. We turn the corner and we see, you know, the, the view from the top of the mountain. And I'm completely forgetting at this point the, the feelings that I'd felt before, the tiredness that I'd felt, everything from before, and the walk up. I was just enjoying being at the top of the mountain. And so I'm taking pictures, I'm looking around, I'm FaceTiming my family, and I'm having an absolutely great time. And then I turn around and I start to go down the mountain. And if you've ever gone on a hike that's on an incline, you know that the way down is significantly easier than the way up. And so I'm just completely enjoying my life, and people are just passing me by, and I'm just continuing to go down. And a little bit well down the way, I see someone who's coming up the mountain. And I, for some reason, he just caught my eye. I don't really know why. But as I'm looking at this person, I kind of see him, and he's getting a little bit closer, and I realize that this guy, he seems a little tired. He seems uh, a little out of breath, and he gets a little closer and closer, and I see he's kind of sweaty. He, he seems like he's not really going to make it. And so for whatever reason, when this guy really got close to me, he stopped me midway down the mountain and says, I'm tired. I need help. How much farther to the top of the mountain? And I say, I know. I, it, it's, it's hard. Trust me. I know what it's like. I, I got you. I'm in your corner. But let me encourage you. You're almost there. You're almost there. I know exactly where you need to go. You need to go up here. You need to make a left there. And right when you turn the corner, you're going to be at the top of the mountain. And it's completely worth it once you reach the top. And I, I don't see that guy anymore as, as he continues to go on his way. But as I'm going down, I really felt like God put that on my heart. That is what mentorship is like. People who have gone up the mountain mountain, who have struggled what you're struggling with, who have experienced what you're experiencing, and they've reached the top. Now they're coming down the mountain, and they can share insights, they can share their experience, and they can share their life with you. And really for them, they're going down the mountain just to climb up another one that God has for them. And so as I conclude here, one of the biggest verses that um, I wanted to share with you guys is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I can really say that this verse has been very true in my life. And so I just wanted to say, Jeremy, thank you so much. I really and truly know without a shadow of a doubt that my life would not be the way that it is today if it was not for you laying down your life for me. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I'm going to welcome up Audrey, who will be sharing next. You want to honor now? Hi guys, I'm not usually speaking into this microphone. Um, if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Audrey, um, and I wanted to spend some time tonight talking about dating. Yeah, I know, fun. Um, so if you don't know, I'm dating uh, the guy that stands over here and is really cute and he plays the electric guitar. Uh, his name's Jared. <laughs> Um, yeah, ladies, I know you were thinking it, but I'm sorry to inform you that he's taken, so. I know, you can, you can cry in your beds tonight, it's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if, if, in, all, in all seriousness, if you haven't gotten the chance to meet Jared, he's a wonderful guy. Um, would highly recommend getting to know him if you haven't, but only if you're male. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jared and I um, have been dating for almost two and a half years now. Um, and I would say that he and I have had a pretty successful dating relationship. It's obviously not been perfect, and there's a lot that we've had to work through, but I think I can say that God has been glorified um, through our relationship. And if I'm honest, I'm confident of that, mainly because Neil approved me to give a talk on dating right now. <laughs> 
About eight months before I started dating Jared, I went to Hume Lake, which is awesome. If you get the chance to go, you definitely should say yes. Um, and there, I made the personal decision to surrender dating to Jesus. And that meant giving up my natural approach to dating and choosing to submit to what God had to say on relationships rather than what I thought was best. I was a Christian before I made that decision, but I was not actively seeking to honor God in every area of my dating life. I often found myself teetering on the line of what was considered sin and what was technically not, um, but thankfully God really changed my perspective, um, and he gave me the understanding that his instruction was never meant to confine me, but really that it was given first to glorify himself, and second so that I could have insight on, t on how to have the most satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Two years down the line of submitting to Jesus in my relationship, uh, I can say that it has been a blessing to um, walk according to what he says. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So my advice to you is this, bring your love life fully under the dominion of Christ. And if you have not yet, surrender that aspect of your life to him. So what does that practically look like? First, I have a couple of pieces of advice that are gender neutral, so apply to both men and women, and then I'll cover some that are specific to gender. Um, I also hope that whether you're single or currently dating or hope to date in the future, um, you'll be able to take away something from my talk tonight. Um, so first, my general advice to both men and women. Number one, stop walking the line of sin in your relationships. Make the one-time decision that you will flee from, from temptation rather than testing your luck. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Establish boundaries in your relationships that are stricter than you would probably choose. Err on the side of safety and trust that God knows best when it comes to how people should physically interact when they're not married. Number two, be wise about your opposite sex friendships, regardless of if you're single or dating. To be completely honest, I did a pretty poor job of this prior to dating Jared, and it caused me a lot of hardship, both personally and in my relationship with him. So what do I mean when I say that you should be wise about your opposite, fr opposite sex friendships? Um, what I really mean by that is that uh, women should spend the majority of their time pouring into their female friendships, and men should spend the majority of their time doing the same with other guys. Um, I'm not saying to avoid platonic relationships with members of the opposite sex, but those friendships should be enjoyed mainly in a group context. Also, it's my opinion that you should not be spending intentional one-on-one -on -one time with a member of the opposite sex unless you are on a date. And I know this is really hard to accept for some, and it was definitely hard for me to accept. Um, Jordan and I had lots of conversations about this, but why is this important? Say you're single and you have a really close friendship with a member of the opposite sex, and you spend frequent one-on-one -on -one time with them in a completely platonic setting. Um, then either you start dating or they start dating um, someone else, and at that point, it would really no longer be appropriate for you to spend that same amount of time in the closeness that you had previously engaged with them um, because it simply would not be respecting the dating relationship that either they had entered into or that you had entered into. I experienced this when I was dating Jared. I had some close male friendships before I started, started dating him, and... Oh, I'm losing my notes. Hold on, brief pause. This did not happen in practice. <laughs> uh, we're getting there. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, so I, I had some close male friendships uh, before I started dating Jared, and um, both he and I were hurt in the process of me having to scale back many of those relationships. Um, I was sad to have to distance myself from some people who had, I'd become really close with, um, and he was hurt that I had placed such a high value on relationships with guys that were not him. Um, it was really not a good situation to be in, so take steps to avoid it um, before you enter into a relationship, if possible. And in doing this, I was really able to honor Jared in our dating relationship, and prior prioritize him as the only person of the opposite sex that I really want to be like super emotionally connected to and close with. Also, this is great practice for marriage. 
Um, which you should be dating for marriage, but that's a whole nother talk. Okay, number three, uh, seek wise counsel and actually listen to what they have to say. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Um, and just like we heard from Josh, you should have a mentor who you can bring this to. Um, I told Neil when I started developing feelings for Jared and asked for his opinion on him because I wanted to know if he was sketchy. <laughs> Um, I also kept Ifalola informed on all the proceedings of he and I's relationship. She and I actually went through um, Andy Stanley, Stanley's Love, Days, and Heartbreaks, which was great. Um, Jared was also keeping a guy named Diego informed on everything um, on his end. And both Ifalola and Diego really helped Jared and I prepare and lay a foundation um, before we were even dating. Um, and I will say, though, that you need to be prepared that whoever you seek advice from may not say exactly what you want to hear. They may not give their stamp of approval on the person that you want to date, and they may not even they may even decide that you are not ready to date. Ask my friend Romano about his conversation at FDC with Jeremy freshman year. He wanted to date my cute roommate Sam, and Jeremy told him that he should take a year off of dating because he just wasn't ready. I'm not saying you'll be so lucky, but lucky, but now they're getting married. So <laughs> listen to wise counsel. <laughs> yeah, woo, go Sam and Romano. Okay, on to my gender-specific advice. Ladies, number one, stop trying to manipulate circumstances to get a guy to like you or to ask you on a date. I was, <laughs> yeah, hey, he, you heard it here first, he agrees. <laughs> Um, I was pretty bad about this before I started dating Jared um, and before I really decided to put Jesus in charge. Um, but if you wholeheartedly believe that God's not going to rip you off, then you'll trust him to move in a guy's heart um, if he's the right person. Here are things that you can do instead of manipulating. Number one, pray like crazy. That's fine. Um, you just really shouldn't be taking any personal action to force your own will, though. Um, I would suggest that you pray for God's will to be done instead. Psalm 41 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. God knows exactly what you want, but he also knows what's best for you. You can also be open. Get to know guys in a group setting. Have conversations with them. Be their friend. And please don't take away from this talk that you should avoid the male species like a plague. I'm really only suggesting that you avoid them like a mild cold. <laughs> Uh, number two advice for the ladies is dress modestly. You have no idea how much this can help your brothers in Christ. Um, I highly recommend reading a book called For Women Only. Um, really helped me to understand why this is important. And number three, wait to be asked asked specifically on a date before hanging out one-on-one -on -one with a guy. This leads right into my advice for the guys. If you like a girl, you should ask her on a date. You can be bold and be specific and clear. I know, novel idea. Um, yeah, be bold, be specific and clear, um, and you can really honor your sisters in Christ by not making things confusing for them. And number two for the guys, this one is specifically for when you're already in a relationship, and I'm going to give you perhaps the biggest life hack that you will ever hear, um, and you'll only hear me ad admit it once, so please listen closely, um, but a lot of the things that girls get sad or emotional about are things that might not even be valid or true in any way. You may even venture to think that the reason for their emotions is flat out stupid, but things will go better for you if you choose to empathize and comfort um, before you express the truth or try to solve the problem. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We will be much more open to hearing from you if we feel that our emotions have been validated and if you mourn, for, mourn with us for even just a moment. And number three, lead the relationship. This is your responsibility. Uh, initiate a conversation about boundaries, plan dates, discuss problem areas in the relationship as they arise. Don't take a back seat in the relationship and don't become passive. This is great practice for when you someday become a husband and want to lead your wife and children well. Um, and with that, girls, you should be allowing your boyfriends to lead the relationship. Don't try and take control and respect them when they make decisions. 
I wanted to end by saying that if you're going to take one thing away from this talk, I want you to take this. Focus on who you are becoming rather than who you're trying to date. Andy Stanley says it well. He says, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Now, if you're doing as I would suggest, and you're really looking for a person who is walking with God and wanting to become more like him, that means that you should be putting in the time and effort to grow in your relationship with Jesus first. And by this time, you've, you've heard from last week, a couple, a couple people um, mentioned Matthew 6.33 a couple times. Um, and it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Um, so thank you guys for listening. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to pull aside me or Jared um, or any other like people in challenge who have dating relationships that you admire. I'm sure they would all be willing to chat with you. Um, yeah, but thank you guys uh, for listening. And right now, um, we're actually going to watch a video. Our friend Luke is in the hospital, unfortunately, and he was supposed to give a talk tonight. But we're going to, um, oh, yeah, there's that. Was that up there the whole time? Oh, great. Yay, thank you. Um, OK, yeah, we're going to watch Luke now. Luke, as maybe they introduced me. Uh, I was pretty tired today, so I just decided to sleep in and do challenge for my bed. Nope, uh, I'm actually in the hospital right now. Uh, I went a little too hard in the gym. Daniel, Colby, you guys need to be careful. Um, basically, I developed a condition where the muscle breaks down. Uh, it can be really dangerous for your kidney and your heart. But I am uh, on an IV and everything's going well and uh, um, things are looking positive for a release, hopefully in the next day or two. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you guys are all here. Wish that I was there with you. If you want to come visit, I'm at Verdugo Hills in room 604. Um, but yeah, so tonight I wanted to talk a little bit about just trusting God through hard times in your life and building a track record of trust with him. And just a sidebar, give or doubt that God has a sense of humor. I was planning on doing this topic before. Um, I got in the hospital, and now I'm in the hospital still doing it. So he lined things up, his plans all work for good. Um, but yeah, uh, we are all forgetful people. Um, I forget what we had for breakfast. We forget homework assignments are due. And most importantly, uh, I can't remember. No, sorry, I'm making so many jokes. Um, but most importantly, we forget what God has done in our lives. Um, that can be so many things. For me, it's how we got how we got me to USC, how I got plugged in the challenge in the first place, um, literally saving my life right now. And we'll talk about another time too. And when I was little, seven months old, I had meningitis. And so just so many times throughout my life that God has been really faithful and present um, in just so many ways. But it's really easy to forget them. Um, but for, fortunately, God is aware of our forgetfulness. And in Exodus, um, right after the people of Israel are delivered from slavery, God says to them, or Moses says to them, be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. So how do we do these two things? Not forgetting what our eyes have seen, not letting them fade from our heart. Well, I want to tell you a story, and I think that stories are just so important for accomplishing those things. Um, but this current predicament of uh, being in the hospital um, is uh, not the first difficulty that life has thrown at me. Um, fortunately, I've had others that have helped prepare me uh, for this moment. But nearly a year ago, um, almost to the day, uh, I began to emerge from a period of just a month's long struggle with anxiety and depression. Lockdown was not easy on my extroverted mind and soul. Um, just as being in the hospital room isn't really that easy. Um, it was honestly probably, I think, one of the, just kind of one of the worst seasons of my entire life last year. And, um, just go to bed feeling terrible every day. Um, really just mind absolutely racing, chest just pummeling, um, and then just feeling so worn down from all of it. Um, and so I'd go to bed and just really dread, honestly, getting up the next day. And I would wake up usually in the middle of the night with panic attacks. Um, 
and then I would wake up uh, when the sun would rise and I just couldn't wait for it to set, to be honest. And when I looked at scripture, Psalm 116, three through four, um, really sums up how I felt. It says, the snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish, and I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Lines like that in the Bible are just so cool because they're just so real. And they just describe how um, we feel. Like a lot of the time it's easy to just cover things up. Oh, like, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. But it's like, no, David was sort of like, the snares of death are encompassing me. Um, yeah, there was one particular night that was um, really bad. And someone in my life group reminded me um, a couple weeks ago that I described it in my lows as the worst weekend of my life, if that gives you a, a hint. But I, I had woken up with an anxiety attack um, and was just sitting at the side of my bed sobbing, and honestly just wishing that I wasn't alive. I just walked out of my room despairing, and honestly, I didn't really trust myself um, to protect myself. Fortunately, God was looking out for me. And in that moment, I called my friend Juan, and he picked up. And that's really special because Juan was in Ireland on a completely different time zone, and at that time was on a bus ride that offered him Wi-Fi. Um, which was the first time that he had a Wi-Fi for a while. So I happened to call him like a 30 minute window that he could actually talk and sit on the phone. Um, and so as I look back at that time, just the way that he kind of guided me back in my room and I just see that at one of the lowest moments of my life, God was faithful to save me and protect me. And again, in Psalm 116, the next few verses say, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I can look at this psalm and just say it's so true in my life. Um, and I really began to see things come together, together after that. My roommate Josh stayed with me through the rest of that night. He took me to breakfast um, and just continued caring for me. And the community that I had invested in and challenged um, just really began to rally around me and help me through uh, the rest of that season. And it definitely wasn't an easy period at all to get through. Um, and there's a lot more that I could talk about in that story. It's not just a, uh, that's it. Um, but. To me, it just shows that God is always faithful to us. And when we find it hardest to love ourselves, he meets us there with grace, compassion, and mercy. So the next few verses of Psalm 116 say this, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So now, flash forward a year, um, doing a lot better in terms of mental health and everything there. Um, but I wouldn't have uh, thought that in a year I would be sitting in a hospital room um, not getting to go to class uh, for the last time ever um, and not getting to go to the last challenge uh, ever. Um, hugely disappointing things um, for me. But as I'm reminded that I can be very forgetful of what God has done for me, I'm also reminded that God is never forgetful and he never forgets about me. Um, in Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, he says, Can a mother forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Right now, in my life and in your life, God has totally got you. He is he's here. He knows. He knows every thought you're having, um, whatever's going on in your life. Trust me, God knows about it. And he still looks at you and thinks, I would die for that person again an infinite amount of times because he loves you so much. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died knowing what he was getting, um, a bunch of sinners. Uh, and he still looks at you and loves you. And and so, yeah, we've, we've all got our Psalm 116 moments and how difficult would it be to go through a season like that alone and alone without God? Um, and so just a few recommendations for you. 
um, as you're navigating the rest of your college and you might have seasons that are unexpected too coming into your life, good seasons and bad. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, the two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Well, God's, God saved me through community, and that meant that I had spent time in previous years of college investing into those relationships. I had not only chose to show up to things like Thursday Night Challenge, Freshman Connection, and Life Group, but I also chose to open up and be known in those situations, and to let people know what was actually going on in my life. And so when it really mattered and counted, I had people around me that were there to help. And so I, I wish and hope the same thing for you. But even more, I opened up my life to God, and he was able to answer me in the day of my distress. The first verse in Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him all the days of my life. And he heard me, um, and sees me as a son, and he loves me. And he saved my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I get to walk before God in the land of the living. And I know that he wants to do the same thing for you. So decide to show up, decide to open up, and open yourself up to the one who loves you more than anyone else. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys have a blast at Chick-fil-A for me tonight or insomnia. If you're thinking about not going, just go. It's the last one. I wish I was there. I would literally take my IV thing over there if I could, but I can't. So, yeah, um, I think this was a little bit over time, but I'm sure I'll have uh, a little sympathy. So, all right. Love you guys. Peace out. Freddie wouldn't be able to get the mic off. Turn it on. Oh, okay, it's good. All right, um, put this here. Okay, or maybe I'll just hold it. That's cool too. Okay, um, hey everyone, I'm Tiana Chung, and if you asked someone in this room to describe me, here are a few things they might say. She's a graduating senior studying film. Um, she transferred from UC Berkeley, and she's part of ministry team here at Challenge. Now, if you ask someone to describe me in my freshman year, these are some things you might hear. She's got the most intense work ethic I've ever seen. She typically never gets more than four or five hours of sleep. She's always working on some film project, and she's just a really busy person. Unfortunately, this is what I used to be defined by. And the worst part is, I loved it. I found my identity in these statements. I basked in these compliments that were a sweet sound to my ear. But Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I used to jump from one film set to another, sleep-deprived, and on the verge of burnout. Yet people saw my constant hustle and overworking as something that was admirable, and I wanted them to, as well. But secretly, deep down, I knew I was simply feeding an existential dread of failing to leave a legacy behind, or living a life without purpose. My busyness was motivated by this very fear. And God doesn't ignore the fact that it's hard out there, in this broken world that capitalizes on our fears. In fact, the phrase, do not be afraid, is mentioned 365 times in the Bible. So he isn't selling us escapism. But what he does offer is a way to battle well, the sweetest gift in the midst of chaos, and that's rest. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I took on the yoke from the bad shepherd of fame, I felt imprisoned under the pressure to make something of myself by a certain age. I'd search up Wikipedia pages of Oscar-winning directors, desperately trying to follow in their footsteps. I would stay up until the birds started chirping, seeing rest as an inconvenience. Because if I just had more time, I thought, then I could get ahead and create some magnum opus. Little did I know, God actually multiplies our time, but only when we fill ourselves first with him. So 
Psalm 127, one to, do, to two says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I remember last summer, Carlene asked me, what are you trying to fill in your heart with fame that Jesus isn't already? And it struck me. I was searching for intimacy and purpose in the wrong places. But thankfully, through the miraculous ways God used Christian Challenge in my life this past year, these are two things that I now seek from Jesus alone. Last November, as I looked around at the people gathered for my birthday party in the Maghouse backyard, I finally understood what it meant to know and be known, to celebrate and be celebrated. That type of intimacy ultimately paled in comparison to the praise I received on screenplays or contest awards. Those worldly glories felt so small all of a sudden. Because as I looked around at the faces of the people I loved and whom God blessed into my life, I knew without a doubt that this, this, was better than any ounce of worldly fame I could have ever gotten. And as for purpose, I found my heart lighting on fire like never before, as I had the opportunity to encourage and challenge girls with what place they were allowing Jesus to have in their lives. There was unfathomable joy in these friendships, witnessing the fruit of pointing them to the only one who can fulfill us, and seeing him heal the hurts that burden them. Sure, making movies could impact people's moods for an hour or two, but life-on-life discipleship is something that could impact family trees for generations. What greater purpose is there than being made a fisher of men? Even a seemingly normal day meeting with students on campus becomes the greatest adventure when it's centered around him and his kingdom work. And listen, I'm still busy, but just in a different way now, making heaven crowded and making his name known, getting a front seat and watching Jesus bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recover sight for the blind, as he promises in Luke 4.18. I no longer see interruptions as a nuisance to my schedule, but rather an opportunity to live out what God may have specifically ordained my day to be about. Because hey, it's not about my agenda anyway. The standard in which I measure my days now is no longer how many pages of a screenplay did I churn out, but did I love people well today and reflect Christ's character? A truth that Neil spoke into my life at a very pivotal moment in my life last semester was, it doesn't matter if you have a platform if you have nothing to say when you get there. As I ran this over in my head, I realized, no matter what I do, it's got to be about people and helping them know Jesus. And the most relieving part of it all, God's the only one who can change their hearts anyway. He really doesn't need us. And while we still play our part faithfully, we do it partnered with the yoke of Jesus, who promises to never leave or forsake you, and who sees you as his beloved. Now that's something to rest in. And if you think about it, Jesus had the most important mission of all on this earth, and yet he was never in a hurry. On his last day, he washed his disciples' feet. He could have done anything. Now that, to me, is the greatest magnum opus of them all. In my life, Jesus' grace opened my eyes to see that my restless chase for fame was a mirage, a delusion. So what is that for you? Is it the security of a six-figure paying job? A perfect marriage? A prestigious internship? Psalm 34.8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In getting a taste of the Lord's goodness, he has cured me from my overworking and saved me from myself. What a shepherd we have. And what a God we serve. I'll close out in the words of St. Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Now, join me in welcoming up the lovely Rondea. Thank you. Okay. Hey, everyone. What's up? Don't worry. Usually, when I have this mic, I know that I'm scatting, but there will not be any scatting tonight. I'm sorry. I know. Sad. <laughs> Instead, we're talking about dealing with hardship and a heart of perseverance, which is harder to do in five minutes than scatting, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> so, I've had a number of conversations with friends about how they don't sing Refiner by Maverick City Music when the worship team sings it. They just can't get behind saying, and I won't, I'll spare you the singing, I want to be tried by fire. Which, I mean, fair. If you 
If I had you honestly raise your hand if you agreed with the statement that you would want to face suffering and affliction, if you had the choice, would you? Maybe some of you would say yes, others would say no. But here's the kick, whether you want to or not, you will be tried by fire. I have to rewind to the top of last semester. I was at the ministry team retreat and we were listening to messages from Louis Giglio and Andy Stanley. Canvas, it's a good one, they use a lot. <laughs> All surrounding God's glory and how everything that happens to us, good or bad, is for God's glory. Which I was able to rock with at first until I got a call from my dad while at retreat where he told me he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Suddenly, my heart felt heavy, my soul felt dim, and I had a really hard time listening to Louie and Stanley and Neil and everyone else who would say, everything is for God's glory. There was no way that that was true. How was he going to make this bad thing good? I know he says he works all things together for our good, but the math was suddenly not mathing, so. It was suggested that I read through Job. I didn't. <laughs> It was more of a season of the Psalms, which I think works for that particular season. I learned a lot about the nearness of God and hardship, what his strength is and looks like, the value of vulnerability with God and with trusted friends, and the power of showing up when I really, and sometimes I really didn't want to. But in my recent run through of Job, with a clearer head, I see that reading this particular book teaches the same things. And so here's some truths I think you can learn from the story of Job, which is verifiable because I've lived a variation of it. Um, so the first thing is that bad things don't just happen to bad people. Job 1.1, literally in the first verse, Job is described to be blameless and upright. Introductions are not accidental, they're purposeful, so knowing this should inform how the rest of the book is read. God wasn't punishing Job because he was evil and needed to be reprimanded. You can be righteous and you can experience affliction. Second thing, the suffering that is permitted is restricted. God doesn't give Satan full range to do whatever he wants to Job. He doesn't allow Job to suffer to the point of defeat. So whether you see your suffering as torment of the enemy or God refining you, the permission of the affliction is restricted. And God's mercy and grace upon us, he doesn't give us anything we can't handle so long as we don't strive to persevere on our own. So that leads me to my third point. Job isn't walking in his suffering alone. There's two things happening. There's dependence on God. Throughout this book, Job is constantly pleading that God would reveal his sin, alleviate suffering, and ultimately respond to his cries as God seemed far and silent. And there was also dependency on others. In the waiting, Job has three friends that he's communicating with for like 70% of this book, and it's not a, a 101 on how to communicate with your friends in crisis, but <laughs> what they did do well is that they made themselves available once they heard what was happening to Job. They stayed with him for seven days and mourned with him in silence. So just as you want your needs met, you need to seek the need to meet the needs of others. As Dr. Phil told me once, give what it is you need. <laughs> so, <laughs> number four, <laughs> the answer to why bad things happen to good people is not one you'll like. So, God speaks to Job directly after all of his friends go silent. God gives no direct answer to why Job experienced the suffering he did, but instead God says a lot about who he is and who Job is not. So, God knows all, Job does not. God has created all things, Job has not. God is perfectly just, Job is not. And most important for me, God's plan cannot be thwarted. He will do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. So that means he's glorified when he blesses, he's glorified when he afflicts. And if it's part of his perfect plan, I will be tried by fire, whether I want, whether or not I want to be. So I can complain and be frustrated, which I have been, and in his grace, he will listen and be our comfort. But if you're more fixated on what's happening to you, versus what he can be doing through you, you will routinely miss out on the opportunity to be refined and pr produce the perseverance God is offering. So how do you practically grow in a persevering heart? The first thing, you must keep eternal perspective. You will experience hard things for your, the rest of your life while on this earth as a result of sin, but if your perspective every time you experience hardship is a perpetual state of woe is me versus a glory to God or how is God growing me in this, you will not grow in perseverance. You will grow in bitterness and resentment. Your hope is not found in earthly things anyway, but instead in what is eternal. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the confidence in what we have hoped for and assurance about what we do not see. 
about what we do not see. <laughs> your faithfulness does not mean your desires will be met here and nor that things will get better. They'll get easier, but not necessarily better. Hebrews 11.39, these were all commended for their faith. And this is in reference to the shorthand list of the people who answered the call of God. Uh, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So God didn't let up on this promise on his verse. Don't get it twisted. But he planned something better. <laughs> An eternal redemption, eternal relief, eternal justice, eternal healing, and eternity with him, which we tried to thwart when we went our own way, but a promise he sealed about 2,000 years ago on the cross. Uh, second point, you have to remind yourself of the character of God. The enemy will be intentional in making you believe your hard circumstances mean you serve an unreliable God. You have to tell yourself the truth, as Bree said, she's wise. The Lord has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He is working all things for the good of those who love him, that he loved you so much that he'd sent his son to die for you. And when you can't tell yourself the truth, you get the others to speak the truth over you. That will take some vulnerability, but it will be so worth it. When we confess and pray for each other, God brings healing, says it in James 5, 16. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, so take advantage of that. And then the third thing is just continue to be faithful in what God has called you to. Your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The truth is, you're here, you're still living. That's a gift. There's good to be found in your life amidst affliction, so you need to actively be searching for it. In conclusion, I don't know how God makes his decision to give us the lives he does. I can't always put my finger on why he gives us hard things. I don't know if my dad will experience healing here. I don't know if my family will experience the breakthroughs they need. I don't know what it is for you that has you frustrated. I don't know if you're gonna get that job. I don't know if you're gonna get into that relationship. I don't know if you're gonna experience that healing in your body or your mind. But I do know this. There will come a day where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That's my eternal hope. Thanks for listening. Romano. <laughs> Hello. I do live some, I, I joked I live in a Best Buy with Victor and John, so there's constant tech support when you need it. Um. <laughs> This is true. This is very true. Well, you guys, I want to say thank you so much. It is an honor to be a part of this class. Oh, my gosh. With last week and with this week, too, wow. Like I wrote here, I really love my class. <laughs> I really do. I'm so impressed by you guys. And um, if it's any surprise, as Audrey may have alluded to, we did not enter freshman year like this. So this is after years. So I asked Jeremy the beginning of my freshman year, can I can I date Sam? And he's like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, and then I asked him my senior year, can I marry Sam? And you know, before he can respond, I just did it. So, anyways, but <laughs> so I like to say we've grown. I like to say we've grown. Um, so thank you guys. It's truly such an honor. It's so exciting. And thank you to you guys who chose to be here on a Thursday night. You have years to go here. Um, and so you decided to spend your Thursday night here. That doesn't go unnoticed. And I hope that your choice tonight to be here will pay dividends for the rest of your life. So as many of you know, I am Italian. <laughs> And literally, my name tag, I did not ask G to do this, but he wrote on my name tag, The Italian, tonight. This is no secret, and it's also why John has graced me with the privilege of my own chef alter ego. But what is not as well known is that I'm actually part Southern, too, unfortunately. Um, my family is from a small town called Camelsville, Kentucky. I do not joke. And in my life, the most impactful aspect of having some South in my blood boils down to one small fact. I have a Southern grandma. <laughs> there are many things that are true about Southern grandmas, but the one truth about them that has never left me is that they are some of the most heavily perfumed entities <laughs> on this planet and mine is absolutely no exception. 
All throughout my childhood, my grandma would never leave the house without first applying her white ginger oil-based perfume. <laughs> the scent of which would quickly fill the entire house, no question. Everyone else in her life knew, knew this too. And so the white ginger scent became the signature scent of my southern grandma. Wherever she was, there was white ginger perfume, and wherever there was white ginger perfume, there was my Mima there too. <laughs> and what was so fascinating about my grandma's white ginger perfume is that so connected was it to her being, and so fragrant the scent, that even after she had left a room, people could walk in and know without a doubt that my Mima had been there just before. <laughs> she could be in a room and she could leave that room and without ever having been seen by anyone, anyone else who knew her could enter and know that she had been there too. She didn't need to be there for people to know that she had been there. So now let me ask you guys a question. <laughs> for some of you, you have just one year. For others of you, a few years. But all of us here will soon leave USC. You all, sooner than you think, are about to leave the room, just like my southern grandma. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. This is the case. Good. So let me ask you guys. How will anyone who comes after you know that you were here? Will anyone be able to tell that you passed through here? That you spent four years of your life at this university? That you spent four years living near it, studying on it, and roaming its buildings and halls? What indication will there be? How will the next freshman class know if you never meet them. When my grandma leaves a room, people can very quickly tell that she passed through, even if no one saw her, and even if she's there for just a few minutes. You all will be here for at least four years. So how will anyone know? How will anybody know that you did? Will it be that you got good grades and near 4.0 GPA? Well, let's play it out. Let's imagine how that could work. I'm graduated, I'm long gone, I'm on my honeymoon with Sam, where I made it very clear to the freshmen, I don't want you to call me, I don't want you to write me, if you need me, ask Josh, if Josh isn't around, find a straw, why, so you can suck it up, okay? All right. I don't want to be communicated to. So let's say I'm gone, I'm graduated. Creds to Alan, by the way, for that. I'm graduated, I'm long gone, I'm on my honeymoon with Sam, and little Johnny the freshman visits campus one day, and he's walking by Tommy Trojan, and he pauses in his tracks and he exclaims, Mom, Dad, you're never gonna believe it. Excited and convinced that their baby is the smartest in the world, they go, what is it, little Johnny freshman? And he goes, guys, I was just looking at Tommy Trojan and I realized there was this guy named Romano. He just graduated and guess what? He got really good grades. <laughs> and his parents are gonna say, oh, okay, little Johnny, let's keep moving along. <laughs> mm -mm. You'll take your grades with you. There's no doubt about that. But you can't leave those behind. So maybe it'll be all the experiences you had in the clubs and societies you joined. Maybe that's how people will know that you passed through here for four years. Our friend little Johnny walks a little farther and he walks by the bookstore and bam, he pauses and turns to his parents and goes, mom, dad, this kid Romano, guess what? What his parents reply, now worried that their kids, that their kid may actually not be the best and smartest in the world. Okay. <laughs> Well, I was just walking by the bookstore and I realized he didn't just get good grades. He was on an e-board in two clubs too. 
the parents are then going to look cross-eyed at each other and be very worried about little Johnny. <laughs> no, not this either. Your clubs, your experiences, your honor societies, oh, you'll, you'll take those with you. There's no doubt about that. But you cannot leave them behind. The sad reality of our four years here is that we spend a lot more time and energy on things that we will take with us rather than things we can leave behind. So how will anyone know? What indication can there be to anyone who comes after you that you came before them, that you gave four years of your life, your one and only life, to being here at USC? How can anyone know? Well, allow me to make a suggestion. You can leave a legacy of lives. Do you know that you have the opportunity to do that? To leave behind you a legacy of lives, changed forever for the better because you entered into them? Do you know that as a result of your four years here at USC, you can leave behind people who are closer to Jesus Christ than they were before they met you? People who have something that they struggle with, but struggle with a little bit less now because you got into the thick of it with them? A habit present in another person's life that blesses them, even when you're not with them, present in their life because you helped it come into existence. You have the opportunity to do that. To not just take things with you, but to leave people behind you who long after you're gone will take their changed lives and go on to help change other people's lives too. The marching band agrees, guys. <laughs> so let me bring this a little bit down to earth. Can you please raise your hand, anyone in this room, if any of the following people I'm about to name have blessed your life, helped you, or encouraged you in any way? Christopher Thomas, Isaiah Wilkes, Justice Ahn, Pierce Show, Christopher Zock, George Phillips, Justin Santos, Sebastian Wojakowicz, Dorian Ovash, Trey Dyson, Dane Christensen, or Josh Yoon. Can you raise your hand if any of those people named have encouraged you, blessed you, or helped you in any way? That's really encouraging. You know what's crazy? Some of you who raised your hands, I've never even met. And you don't know this, but I have blessed your life too. <laughs> it is true. And the reason being is I gave a piece of myself to each of those guys during my four years here. And since they have blessed you, I have had the privilege of blessing you too. You're welcome. <laughs> And in fact, like Josh alluded to, Jeremy gave a piece of his life to me too. So actually, you may not even have met Jeremy, but he's blessed you too. So if we revisit little Johnny now at the bookstore and his parents are wondering where Engaman is to check in on their son, <laughs> maybe one of those guys I named who will still be here long after I'm gone sees this confused family and approaches them and helps them. Maybe little Johnny even comes to a Thursday night challenge. I'm away on my honeymoon, but because I've left a legacy of lives, I got the opportunity to bless little Johnny's life. And you all can have that happen for you too. How do you think we got like this as seniors? It's because other people did that to us. So what I would encourage you to do in the midst of everything that claws for your attention here at USC is to consider, just consider, leaving behind a legacy of lives. Join DT, join MT, learn how it's done so that you don't just take things with you, but leave lives behind that will continue to reach others long after you've left the room. I want to thank you all so much on behalf of the seniors for a wonderful four years. And I want you to really consider all that you've heard tonight. And on behalf of all of us, God bless you guys. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. We recorded this episode live on the final Thursday night gathering of the 2021 to 22 school year. And we'll be on break from our regular episodes until the fall semester, but you can always listen to years of archives messages on most podcast platforms. Don't forget to leave a quick review. It only takes a couple seconds and it really helps us. As always, if you're in the area, you're welcome to join us for our summer fun. So get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events, and our small groups on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.